We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna... Well, we kept shooting ourselves in the foot. I mean, we had we had penalty after penalty. Get a first down penalty. Look back penalty. 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 I mean, that, that was that was the difference. I thought we were moving the ball up and down the field on them. It just, you know, we, we just get a darn penalty. And that's, you know, that's the difference. We never let ourselves get in any kind of rhythm because we're, we're backed up. It's now first and, you know, and uh, 20 or third and 15 or whatever the heck it is. And when you're behind the sticks, it's, it's tough to do anything. We got ourselves to blame on this one. We're going to be sick. I can tell you that much. If this, uh, if this costs us, which it probably will. Welcome to the Rock Bell Report, everybody. This is Drew Gear, and that's Chris Kruger producing. And that was Rex Ryan from his interviews at buffalobills.com. How's everyone feel right now? I feel the same way that I've felt the last 16 years. Back in 8th grade when I made a bet with Jeff Goodhand on the Tennessee Titans playoff game. I bet you regret that one, didn't I didn't you? pay him. It was a forward <laughs> pass. Every- I didn't pay him. It's a forward pass. Note that, everybody. He, not only is he a poor better, but he's also a welcher. The weather's finally getting cold, Buffalo. But I, for one, am swip, slipping right into that warm malaise that is a, just meaningless Bills games at the end of a season. Sky rockets in flight. Afternoon delight. And... I make fart noises with my mouth. And I like to cut. Hey, nutjob! Quit the singing! Creeping out all the regulars. I'm expressing my inner anguish to the majesty of song! An inner anguish we have, folks. God, it finally happened. We're at that point now where it's all over but the crying. Ooh, we finally run out of road. And the Buffalo Bills 2016 hype bus has finally parked at its final destination. I can't stop! Help! There's a cliff! And your family's screaming, Oh my God, we're burning alive! No, I can't feel my legs! Here comes a meat wagon! And the medic gets out and says, Oh my God. My God is right. Here's some food for thought. Just want everyone to just clear your head for a moment and picture this. This spring, a group of kids are going to be lining up at Western New York DMV offices all over the city to take their written exams to get their New York State learner's permits. They're going to get rides from their parents or maybe that one older kid that they made friends with down the street who's doing them a favor. And they're going to nervously sit there while some crusty old man hands out forms to him and checks the number two pencils and tries to pretend that he doesn't absolutely hate everything about his life working at the DMV. Although it's just as likely that he won't try. And whether those kids pass or fail, they're all going to have one thing in common. 
they will have been the last group of people in the city of Buffalo to take that test who were alive when the Bills played in a playoff game. Oh, no! We suck again! As Rex Ryan alluded to in the intro, penalties with a soup du jour on Sunday. But we're used to that flavor by now. I mean, if anyone out there who follows EDP, you know, he's, he's a big YouTube personality, diehard fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. He, we tried to tweet at him to do a Skype session to have him on here. Well, you would have spent hours editing out all the profanity. Oh, I probably would have put a... a and was it NSFW, not safe for work here? Is, but regardless, he never responded to us. We're just not cool enough. But at the end of it, you listen to him rant after the football game, and you would have thought that all of those penalties get called on his team and not ours. I mean, the fact is, the, the officiating has been bad. They've missed a lot of things. It's been bad all season. It's been bad all across season. Across no the board. The fence you stand on. Not just Bill's games. Across the board, it's been pathetic. I'll say this. I was, I was actually impressed by something I saw. So much so that I took note of it. Ed Hockey and his crew took time at the end of the half to not only get a call right, but to discuss it with both coaches in a manner that made sense. And then they gave Chip Kelly the chance to, chance to make a good call based on that. You know, they, they gave him the opportunity to take a timeout to avoid a 10-second runoff. Now, I don't recall how many, you know, many specifics about the play because I was already probably a 12-pack deep at that point. But what I know is in that moment, I remember staring at the TV and thinking to myself, how pathetic is it that I'm shocked by watching an officiating crew get together Talk about a call, make the right call, explain it well to both head coaches so neither one of them is upset, and just get it right from the get-go without a whole whole big production about it. No giant delay. Nothing crazy had to go on for this all to take place. The fact that it's that remarkable, it's, it's sad. Now... Dennis Thurman thought so little of the ref's performance that he decided to tell him about it in person. That's from uh, Joe Biscalia on Twitter. Happened to have his video rolling and got Dennis Thurman saying that as he walked off the field in the tunnel with the refs. So you've got Dennis Thurman yelling at the officials on their way off the field, telling them that they're a disgrace. But then, when Rex Ryan gets asked about it, all he had was this to say. No, I mean, I got, you know, things happen after games, very emotional and and things like that. Conversations happen. I mean, um, I can't tell you what Dennis said or, you know, whatever. I I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm not saying he did it because I, I don't, I don't recall him doing it. And I was I was close by him, so I don't know if that was said or not said or whatever. I, I can tell you this: um, a lot of things happen, emotional things happen after games or whatever. I know I had a conversation, but as a private conversation, um, you know, with the official. <laughs> Rex, he know he he knows what Dennis said. He sounded he sounded like he was on trial for something there. Yeah, that's the sound of someone who's guilty and just doesn't want to say it. Uh, uh, I mean, you can find all that uh, Rex Ryan Monday press conference on buffalobills.com. Oh, no, is that right there? That whole exchange and just his explanation of it is actually one of my only funny takeaways from this entire weekend. It's the only thing that I found laughable about the entire affair. The Buffalo News ran an article by Tyler Dunn this weekend in which Daryl Talley, who is personally one of my favorite NFL football because players Because you threw up on him in a pool. That's true. That happened. He spoke about our team's lack of cohesiveness and how it differed from what he found, you know, from what he found it to take to win in this league and what his experience in the league taught him. One of the most significant quotes I pulled from the entire read was this. Now, this is Daryl Talley speaking to the paper. They, meaning the Bills, play with an edge. But they don't know how to take, take care of each other. From what I see, this, this group of guys, they go out as individuals. 
everybody seems to be their own CEO of their own little company. Well, we were we were CEOs of our own company, but we had a bigger organization, and that was the Buffalo Bills. That was the organization that we looked out for. I don't think that's being done. That's the only thing I see that they don't have. Point blank, they don't have a togetherness. It's pretty damning stuff coming from a guy who accomplished everything Daryl Taylor did and knowing the great teams that he was a part of. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that he said in that in that article that I emailed you the other day from Tyler Dunn of the Buffalo News. I mean, you look at it now, the teams, the Super Bowl era people, they're still together. Bruce and Thurman, even they're they're done playing. They all hang out together and stay in contact. It's like the ultimate form of togetherness. All of them stay in touch. Mm-hmm. Togetherness right there, through and through, even after their playing days. No, you're, you're 100% right. Hearing this type of stuff from an ex-player, an ex-Buffalo Bills great, and seeing what we're seeing on the field it makes you question a lot of things. For the last few years, even as we've lost season after season, our team's still tried to find a way to play with heart down the stretch. I mean, last year's team knew how to dig deep against the best teams when it really mattered. I immediately jumps into my mind. That game against Green Bay. You know, they come in here. Here's a team that's playing well. They need the win. They're going to come in here, and you know they're going to air it out. Your secondary, I mean, your, your pass rush has been great, but you're talking about one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And you hold him to no touchdowns, and then you make you force the game-winning safety from his own hands. That team, just 365 days ago, knew how to dig deep and fight for something. Okay, against Green Bay, but not against Oakland. Now, against Oakland, they, in typical Bills fashion, we overlooked him. It was a trap game, and we walked right into it. And Marcel Darius got injured. That's true. They ran with authority once he got hurt. But my point is is that you sit back and you analyze this season's games against teams like you know the New England game that we were right there in. The Jacksonville game where we spotted them 20 points and yet somehow came back to take the lead and yet couldn't hold it. And then the Kansas City game where, again, it's a low-scoring game. It's right there. All you need is a couple guys to get together and make a cohesive play as a unit. It just doesn't happen. I mean, I just don't see that same intensity. For me, for the Kansas City game, for me, when the first quarter ended, I was like, oh, this is just going to work its way into a, a nice slow build, and we're going to dominate this whole game because that's what it looked like in the first quarter. And then second quarter happens. And it's halftime, and we're down 16 to 14. The problem is this team can't – they just don't strike me as a group that can pull together when adversity occurs. When you're really put behind, they try. They try. They all go out there and play to the best of their abilities, but their best isn't good enough. And that is what's more frustrating than anything, to know what we had last year and how just one year later things look so much different. You know what I see? I, I see Jerry Hughes out there game after game just committing these unnecessary penalties. He's, he's jumping off sides trying to get behind snap counts. He's bumping quarterbacks and drawing, roughing the passer calls. He takes more stupid penalties than anyone I've ever seen in a Bills jersey before. And it's frustrating because no one holds him accountable for it. There is no Thurman Thomas to go get in his face and tell him he's wrong. There's no Jim Kelly to call him out in a press conference. There's none of that. And so I just feel like if, if they're not going to take control of it and the players aren't going to take control of it themselves, where are we going to end up? I mean, this is the organization that decided they didn't need Fred Jackson. They didn't need him, even though he seemed to be the heart and soul of this team. He was, he was the godfather of our team. They let him go in that locker room. For as good as everyone talks about how great the locker room is, I don't see that same. They just don't have it. I don't know how to describe it. They just don't have it anymore. People know what you're talking about by, by when you when you say that that they don't have it. I mean, it's we're on pace to be one of the most penalized teams in the NFL, and we've still got three games left. This isn't just a coaching issue. This is a team issue, and the team needs to find a way to gel. But you've got guys who aren't leaders, guys like Mario Williams, who everyone even the biggest knock on him coming into this organization was that he well he's not necessarily a leader he's just a really talented player 
I'm st- then then get out of here. We I'm sorry. To- we need our veteran players to step up and be leaders. And if guys won't give you that respect, you got to take it from them. Maybe you got to get in their faces. Maybe you know. Maybe we need the bickering bills back. We, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. We knew when we signed Mario Williams that that one player is not going to put us over the top to be a playoff team. He's obviously not interested in getting a Super Bowl, but wanting to find his payday. And he got it. I, I don't know. All I know is that between now and next September, this staff and all of these players, they got to come together. They got to figure out how to play as a team. They have to figure out how to how to solve these issues where they're constantly breaking rules and getting caught for it. You got to fix this because if they can't fix it between now and next September, this drought might just never end. So while we're not mathematically eliminated as of today, our, I think we can all agree that our season is pretty much over, right? Done over. I mean, it's a think about this. Aha! <laughs> Think about what? The win by Pittsburgh all but smashed our chances for the playoffs, regardless of whether we won or lost this game. I talked about that last week. They played Denver this week, right? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. They beat Cincy. Them beating Cincinnati. With the red rifle, I tweeted it during the game, the red rifle going down basically gave the Steelers the inside track to run away with that spot from the moment that it happened. Them winning that game basically makes it impossible for us to pass them now us winning or losing against philly well a a win basically you know reduces our chances that much more our chances didn't increase that much if we won and pittsburgh still won so in reality eh, they kind of stole it from us anyway and it's going to be impossible for us to ever get back into contention so now all we can really do is hope to play the spoiler down the stretch so how did we get here chris well, I when you say play the spoiler, next next week we got Washington, then we got Dallas, then we end with the Jets. Yeah. If the Jets are still rolling, I would love to crush their playoff dreams. And I'd, I'd so love, it's Kansas City and Pittsburgh. If they make the playoffs before we do, and we took their old coach. What are you, Dan Gilbert? LeBron, you'll never win. NBA title outside of Cleveland. (laughs) I would rather eat broken glass than see that. But since we're talking about how we ended up here, why don't we just jump right into this game recap? You blew it! (laughs) Blow it they did, boys. Let's crack a beer and talk about how everything went wrong. First off, Offensive line woes. Fletcher Cox was a man on fire on Sunday. And uh, our offensive line did everything they could to try to slow him down, including holding him on three separate occasions. I can't believe that at halftime, Cromer didn't come out with a line adjustment to play the same way that they had played the previous week against J.J. Watt to shut down Fletcher Cox is what they should have done because he was an animal on Sunday. I think one of the saddest things about it is that when when you look back at it, even the offensive line know they sucked. To a man, they know that they, that they were terrible. Our best offensive linemen sucked. Richie Incognito. I've got a quote from Richie saying in the paper that Fletcher Cox ate my lunch today. And here he is at BuffaloBills.com discussing some of the some of the struggles that they've gone through this year. Yeah, I think that's a tough pill to swallow. I think you know we uh, we started out the season uh, with a ton of penalties, and it was something we addressed and we we talked about, and, and we've, we changed up some things in practice that we do with the push-ups and stuff like that. And it, it seemed like we were conquering that battle, you know, week in week out. We were getting better at it, and then um, to have it kind of uh, rear its ugly head again. Uh, in, a, in a huge game for us, it's uh, it's disheartening. It's tough. Yeah, uh, one I think about two are on me: uh, face mask penalty and a holding penalty. You know, I got to use better technique. I got to play better. Um, so yeah, it's 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 tough to to overcome those things, especially deep in your territory. You know, you got your second and long, third and long, and uh, it just puts unneeded stress on the offense. It's hard to stay on schedule. So it's 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 on us. You know, we we can we we hold the 
the answers to the test, and um, we got three weeks to prove what type of team we could be. I mean, you heard it there. That about sums it up. I mean, they thought they had a handle on it. Whether they're using collegiate tactics and doing push-ups for penalties, the fact is, is you guys are all paid professionals, and you should do, you should be better than this. And yet, that's not what we've gotten out of them. There was constant pressure on our quarterback almost the entire day. And while we weren't completely suppressed in the running department, I mean, there, there was just tackles for losses. They they contained Shady, knowing that we were going to come in and try to make him the focal point of our offense for the day. I, uh, I, th- I think Shady lost his focus because he was so focused on going out and partying after the game. You know, had the, had the party to go to after the game. So he just, you, he just tossed the game and are, wanted to see friends and family. Chris is Chris is imitating the Weiner line of Buffalo. You know, I'm, I, the phone lines were. I'm, I'm sure Jeremy White and Howard Simon were terrified to answer, like to even listen to the answering machine. I didn't listen to a whole bunch of GR after or on Monday or Tuesday, rather. I usually just get to listen to the first segment of Howard Howard and Jeremy on my way to work. But I mean, for a guy that stayed in. That for one night and flew back on his own time on Monday because they were off to spend some personal time with friends, family, whether it be a small gathering, a, a big party, or whatever. Let the guy have a personal life. Jesus. What are you talking about, personal life? These guys are just football players. They're not supposed to do anything but eat, live, and sleep ball, right? No. Fam- People- family comes first no matter what, regardless of what kind of party he had or whatnot. Let the man have a personal life. Yeah, people are idiots. Chill out. Let me get to Tyrod Taylor. He's playing for the first quarter and a half. I mean, it was one of the bright spots of the game. It showcases newfound chemistry with Sammy. That ball to Sammy was so sweet. Right now, I give you the NWO too too sweet. That's how awesome that pass was. I'll be honest. The fact that he just flashed the wolf pack symbol at me gives me, I don't know what the opposite of an erection is, but I have it right now. (laughs) Excuse me. Oh, my God. I can't believe you just did that. But after that, everything kind of went to hell. I mean, Tyrod finished with a 52% completion percentage. He threw a pick and just... His first since week four. And generally, he just wasn't able to move the chains on a consistent basis. I mean, I think losing Clay early in the game certainly didn't help because Clay has been his kind of security blanket. As what a tight end should be. <laughs> but late in the game, us being down, without one of his favorite targets and with them blanketing Sammy, he just couldn't find a way to bring us back. And that's disappointing. It's, it's not something you want to see out of a guy that just a week or two ago, our coaching staff was praising as being an up-and-coming quarterback in the league. Don't tell me that and then have him go out there and drop a 52% completion percentage. Okay, Even, the, even the, the best quarterbacks in this league, when they have a bad week, they still put up something in the range of 60% and a touchdown or two, even if they're turning the ball over like crazy. Do you extend Tyrod or a pay raise at the end of the season? I don't know, because at this point in his career, he can't be trusted with a fourth-quarter comeback. I mean, his consistency is it, it's going to have to get better going into next season. And he has not everything went his way. Okay, And we're going to talk about that in a second, but if we're supposed to trust him with a long-term extension, I need to see more. i got to see more out of him. A lot of that has to do with injuries. <laughs> Now, him losing a threat, think about how good he was. Picture back to that game against the Colts when he hit um, Percy Arvin on that long touchdown pass. And then against Miami when he, you know, Percy Arvin was set getting the safeties out of the box. He was drawing coverage away from Sammy. He just didn't have the chemistry with Sammy. If we had Percy Arvin healthy right now, things might be different, but the fact is we don't. Sammy can't do it alone, and Tyrod, at this stage in his career, is still finding a way to, you know, he's just now learning that he can still force the ball to Sammy in double coverage, and Sammy can make some electric plays. Early on in the season, he didn't have that type of confidence with him because he barely played in training camp. He didn't have that kind of rapport with him. 
but oh, the injuries this year were crushing, and they were huge in this game. Think right. about it. You throw another receiver out there. Robert Woods was getting fed the ball. and He had over 100 yards. He did. He had some great catches. But it wasn't enough to win us a football game. He's a great possession receiver, but I don't think he'll ever be more than that. No. I, I wouldn't trust him as my number two. Good I would go- slot receiver, just like Chris Hogan. I said at the beginning of the season that I was afraid that our lack of depth at linebacker okay, – I was afraid that our depth at linebacker was going to come back and bite us in the ass. And during the game, I tweeted it out. You know, I think we lost Bradham, Powell, Tarpley, Stewart. There's four players over the course of a year who have started at linebacker for you. And now going into this game, you're playing somebody named Reddick, who you literally picked up off the street a few weeks ago, stuck on your practice squad. And now he's here starting for you in a must-win football game. You, it just destroys your game plan when you don't have adequate athletes at one of the most important positions in a Rex Ryan defense or in any defense. If you don't have linebackers, look at what happens to Miami. Even when their offense puts up a ton of points, if you don't have linebackers, you're susceptible to tight ends, you're susceptible to running back passes out of the backfield, and then when all of the coverage gets sucked inside, that's when the receivers on the outside can hurt you. That's where we found ourselves this week, and it just it crippled us. Okay, You also can't blitz. You cannot blitz. One of his favorite things was that he could send pressure on an A-gap blitz with Nigel Bradham right up behind Darius. You know, early on in the season, it was Bradham behind Darius, behind Kyle Williams, and he was getting home. He was forcing pressure, flushing quarterbacks out of the pocket. Lost Kyle Williams. Now you lost Bradham. There is no A-gap pressure anymore. None. And that's what Sam Bradford, he took most of his snaps out of the shotgun. And then he had a huge pocket to step up into to get away from Jerry Hughes. And he had all day. It looked exactly like the KC game. All day we gave Alex Smith, and he burned us deep multiple times. The stats show it. Bradford finished 4 of 9 for 133 yards and two touchdowns on deep passes. We couldn't generate any pressure because we knew our linebackers weren't athletic enough to blitz. So we didn't. We just sat back and hoped and prayed that our our front could get there, and they couldn't. Against a beat-up offensive line in which Jason Peters limped off at one point and had to take, I don't know how many series he missed because of that. Somehow Jerry Hughes and Mario Williams still failed to make any kind of an impact. And because of that, we got beat deep a number of times. I mean, for a team that finished first in sacks last year and defended the pass fairly well, this type of performance is just wholly and completely unacceptable. That, that's all there is to say. I mean, what do you think? Against the uh, – I'm trying to look for it right now, but I saw a statistic that Bradford and Matt Castle, who we play in two weeks – were two of the worst quarterbacks against the blitz, and I always but we can't blitz because don't. we don't have fast enough linebackers. Our defensive linemen are getting aren't winning their one on one matchups. We're in trouble. I felt like on Sunday there were a bunch of times where our line was getting pressure, and Bradford stepped up in the pocket, and but he had a bypassed. Clean, but he had a clean pocket because if. If you go back and watch, look, look at the tape, they were double and triple teaming Marcel Darius the whole game. The second and 26 touchdown for the Eagles, second and 26 mm-hmm. to Aguilar. Mm-hmm. There's the pocket, and then it, it just moved past Bradford, and he stepped up into the pocket. Now, if you if you go to our Twitter account, at Rockpile Report, you, I retweeted uh, our good friend Greg Trelone. He had a screenshot of that touchdown pass, and you can see the entire line is behind Bradford, mm-hmm. offense and defense. And yep. he, he's able to step up, has the whole field to chuck the ball down the field while, while our linebackers cover no one. Considering how much money we spent in that defensive line, to see a play like that is disgusting. And it second, has, second and 26. Something has to change. 
And then you were talking about injuries. Finally, you got Gilmore headed to the IR. Clay Bradham and Williams might end up joining him there at some point in the next week. They're definitely not going to play next week. We're out of the playoffs. Why risk it? Yeah, why risk it? Put him on IR. Aaron Williams isn't going to see the field again. Put him on IR. It's hard to believe that any of this is going to get better anytime soon. It really is. It's frustrating to talk about. You know, you... (laughs) I'm going to have to... I'm gonna have to find it on the on the interwebs. You could have that one offbeat season that uh, the Cleveland Browns had. Do you remember the uh, Cleveland? Yeah, but I don't want that. I want to build a team that can win. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You see, see now I'm getting mad. See, I, I knew this was a bad idea. <laughs> 2007, the Browns went 10 and six, and that's in between two, four, and twelve seasons. I just want to let the internet know. That my intent was to be fairly sober this evening. I'm four beers deep, and I've lost my buzz just talking about this game, and I'm off to go fish a few more beers out of the fridge. Based on the drafts that we have had over the last couple of seasons in finding the mid to late round buys... Drew's drinking a shandy. He just made like a. He just made a disgusting face. I just wanted to. I if you've want- if you've ever had a Labatt shandy, we feel sorry for you. And if Ooh. you haven't, stay away from it. Ooh, I've got. It's I've got disgusting. shivers. It's but they're not like it's cold shivers. It's like whatever I just put in my mouth is disgusting. Disgusting. They were on sale. Buy one get one free at consumers for nine dollars. So I had to pick up a pair of 12 packs. And I'll tell you, this shandy might be some of the grossest stuff I've ever put in my mouth. The uh, the dra- Our draft coming up, based on our last couple drafts, we got a potential to hit on a couple of mid to late round guys. Because we did last year with Darby and Carlos Williams. They were excellent this year. Bradham, who's a great linebacker, was also a mid-round pick. And that's the stuff that you need to hit on to build a winning team. Take a look at Seattle. What did they have on defense? Where was Sherman taken? Where was Cam Chancellor taken? You hit on those guys late rounds, and you're not paying them a whole lot of money against your cap. That's how you build. You can build a great defense, and it comes down to your scouting department. Well, I feel like they may be able to pull it together, but you know what they, the scouting department can save? Our poor special teams play. Someone bring me Danny Crossman's head on a pike. Okay, I want it so I can put it next to my desk in my office. That guy sucks. I've said it since he was hired. Even with all the other mistakes we made, one of the most egregious things I saw when I looked at the statistics is how how grossly they play outplayed us on special teams. I mean, you've got the thick pen fumble, which directly. Why aren't leads you calling? Why are you not calling for a fair catch on that? <laughs> the thick pen fumble directly leads to a Philly touchdown. And then we managed to somehow give up. I, I think it was, let me see here. I actually had it brought up here so I could look at it. On four returns, 47 yards. But one of them was for 28 yards, which brought them straight into our territory and directly led to their first touchdown. They, Our special teams play has been mediocre all season, we need to get better out of this unit. It has to be. And if that involves firing Danny Crossman, I'm all for it. I will personally go to his house and pack everything up for him and shove it into a U-Haul and tell him to get the hell out of my city. Was that the guy that tripped the Dolphins player? No. No, that was a Jets strength and conditioning coach. No, well, the way they worked over there at the Jets, you never know. He could have been voted <laughs> up to special teams. Why don't we just bring back... Uh, I think it's Bruce DeHaven. Because we've pissed everybody off. Bobby April. <laughs> this phrase, maybe with new coaches and new ownership, maybe someone will come back. But I don't know. They got to do something. Go to the go to the collegiate ranks and get somebody. All I know is our current special teams guy sucks. He sucks. He can bite my ass. Bite it. Just take a big chunk out of my fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, if any of your friends are listening to this, I mean every word of this, too. This is, I'm not... This isn't hyperbole. You can literally come over here and bite my ass. I hate you. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the penalties. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but... 
They gotta, I did push-ups on Monday. <laughs> they got to learn how to play clean if they ever want to have another winning season. You go into a three-point, you lose a three-point game knowing, knowing at the end of the day that you gave up 101 yards on 15 penalties. I'm going to pull it up. Uh, um, <laughs> what the hell is that? I'm pulling it up on the interwebs. I don't know from. I believe it was uh, two years ago. We we played the Jets in New York. Rex Ryan was the head coach of the Jets. If you forgot, and we lost the game, and the Jets set like a franchise record for penalties in a game, and they still won. I don't know who's responsible. Whether it's Rex, whether it's the players. But I'll say this. Whoever they are, at the end of the season, you need to line them up and shoot them in the face with a bazooka. Kind of like Bill Cosby used to allude to in some of his comic sketches. This needs to stop. Sloppy teams don't make the playoffs. Sloppy teams don't win championships. If we can't clean our act up, God only knows how far this team might fall. 2013 season... In September, we lost to the Jets 27-20. to And if I can find it, the Jets committed 20 penalties for 168 yards. Good Lord. And they won by seven. Is that the E.J. Manuel game? Where Wait, wait, no, no. That's the Justin, uh, just, is that the Justin Rogers game where he gave up, our cornerback Justin Rogers gave up like a hundred and something quarterback rating when they were th- when he got thrown at. It's like all of their first downs, completions, and touchdowns came against the one shitty corner we had. He is listed on the defense, but yep, there it, it is. It doesn't say anything about it other than he had four tackles and two assisted tackles. Yeah, the game was won in the fourth quarter. Nine twenty-three left in the game. Geno Smith, 69 yards to Santonio Holmes. Yeah, that was the Justin Rogers game. That's another guy who can come over here and just take a just take a nice chunk right out of my fat ass. He can bite me. 20 penalties on 168 yards, and the Jets win. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm already sick and tired of talking about this Eagles game. So we're going to wrap it up here with the hero and zero of the week. Now, I'm going to bring in my hero of the week. He's, I'm giving it to Sammy Watkins. So that is why I am better than everyone in the world. Kiss my and suck my everyone. For the third week in a row, Sammy and Tyrod got loose for long completions and another deep touchdown pass. It's illustrating the fact that they finally, finally built some chemistry, which is important considering he's our best offensive player. Unfortunately, we're going to have to wait until next season to see if that can actually amount to anything. But it's a positive sign. You know, it's always good to see that you're the one weapon on your team that everyone knows is your best player. That we're finally finding a way to get him. Involved. Finally, it took till what week 10, 11 to where Tyrod's like, oh, I'll just throw the ball in the area of Sammy Watkins and he can just snatch it out of the air. But I think a lot of that comes to also speaks to his inexperience. You know, we look at how many years he's been in the league, but he's never started. He's never been a starting quarterback. So, of course, he's conservative. He's learned his accuracy has gotten better as the season went on. Well, let's- a lot of things about his game have gotten better as the season went on. I think another one of those things is trusting himself to throw that pass well enough that he can trust himself to throw to a guy who's covered. Because that's early on in the season. He just wouldn't throw to Sammy if there was if, if he was double covered, he wouldn't throw to him. He would just look for he would look to see if there was an easier option. And that usually took so much time that he had no choice but to either dump it off or run away. Now you're seeing him develop as a passer to a point where he has no problem hucking up a ball when there's two guys, a corner and a safety, bracket coverage on Sammy, and he catches that touchdown pass and just walks it down the sideline for a touchdown. He throws that ball now because he not only trusts his receiver to catch it, but he also trusts himself to throw that pass well enough that it's not going to get intercepted. Well, should we go to your uh, your phone call when I got here tonight? As we, I was, I came to Drew's lovely apartment in the sunny town of Depew, New York. 
I walked into Drew being on the phone with a friend of his, and I believe you had said, I do not want to see the Buffalo Bills take another wide receiver with their first round pick. Ever. If you want to expand on that. Well, I'll be honest. I just don't think it's worth it. The value we got from him. He's a great player, but we could have gotten that from him four or five different guys that came out of this year's draft. Martavius Bryant. We could have gotten that kind of value out of, you know, if all he is is a deep threat, if you're not going to send him over the middle, if you're not going to use him for anything else, then we could have gotten that out of Odell Beckham. We could have gotten that out of... Uh, Mike Adams. We could have gotten that out Mike of... Mike Evans. Mike Evans. Whatever the hell his name is. He sucks. He played for Texas A&M. I hate that guy. And then you talk about a wide receiver in Martavius Bryant, who, again, he's a legitimate deep threat. He's great finding the ball in the air and sometimes in double coverage. And I think he benefits a lot from all the attention that gets paid to Antonio Brown. But what I'm saying is... No wide receiver is worth the price we paid for him. Julio Jones was arguably not worth what the Falcons gave up for him. He's a great player, but a great player does not, when you give up, what did they give up? Two first-round draft picks and a couple other ancillary picks later on in the draft? I got to stop you right there. That price that you pay for Julio Jones, the price that you pay for Sammy Watkins, you made you made the correct deal because you dealt with the Cleveland Browns because you know that the pick that okay. you're giving them okay, that's is not going to work and out. They did the same thing with us. They wasted our picks. But the fact is, is that you're taking picks that we could have used for other things when you could have addressed the position with another player, another type of player. You could have drafted. Another type of player like Sammy Watkins, but who wasn't Sammy Watkins. You could have taken him. And then this year had a first-round draft pick to address D-tackle depth or linebacker depth. Or our offensive line. Or offensive line. It's, this is why you don't make those decisions unless you are on the cusp of winning a title. And well, unfortunately, we're not anywhere close to there. So I don't want to see it happen again in the next decade. I think it's, it's a hard thing for general managers and scouting departments to, to get after when it comes to are you a great receiver or are you a great receiver because well, yeah. because of your quarterback? A great example, James Jones of the Packers. <laughs> he's, he's my homeboy. He got me through the uh, early hump when I didn't have this season in the fantasy, when I did not have um, running back Texans. Rap with me here. I'm forgetting it. Adrian Foster. Arian Foster. Arian wow, Foster. We both suck. So when I didn't have him, I just picked up James Jones off waivers, and he lit the world on fire again because he was back with a competent quarterback. But then when he went to the Raiders, he was terrible. Because they don't have a quarterback. Here we go. 2013, his final year with the Packers, 14 games. Well, he had 14 games, 817 yards. Three touchdowns. 2012, 64 catches, 784 yards, 14 touchdowns. And Oakland is throwing money like, we're going to get that production here. And there was a drop-off, 73 catches, although that was more than the previous two seasons. Because they were feeding him the ball because before Amari Cooper, he had no wide receivers. But had less yards. 666 yards, averaging uh, 9.1 a catch and six touchdowns, and they let him go. And then the Giants signed him and then cut him, and then Jordy Nelson tears his ACL. He, and He sprinted hey, back um, to Green Bay and early on in the season was a touchdown-a-week player. He probably bought his plane ticket as soon as he heard the fact, Jordy Nelson's ACL injury. The fact injury. Is, is that I don't want to see this team invest any more draft picks into the wide receiver position for the for the duration until we're until we are a competitive competent team and we know we have a good quarterback. You can even I don't want to see any more. Go out and get a veteran. Go out and get somebody who already knows how to play NFL football. You can even look at the way the NFL is played now and look at the rules. Like you're not it's like basketball. You're not mm-hmm. allowed to touch the receiver. Yeah, so, so go get a guy who You can knows. get a guy in the 3rd round, TJ Graham. Just saying. <laughs> oh, God. If, I'm going to make a rule right here, folks. You can tweet me anytime and remind me of it. If he ever brings up TJ Graham again on this podcast. At Rockpile Report. I'm, I'm liable to go over there and throw him out of his chair. 
don't talk to me about TJ Graham. It's a sore Roscoe Parrish. Other wide receivers that we've you can get in the middle to late rounds that you can fit into your offense. Well, we've gotten so far off track, but let's get to the zero of our game this week. And that's that's everybody's favorite homeboy, Mario Williams. Between this guy's scheme complaints, but, yeah, I mean, he, he was constantly whining about how, oh, well, I'm dropping big in coverage, I'm doing this. You know what? Yes, I'm frustrated that we're taking our best players and making them do things that don't fit their, you know, their skill set. I'm just as frustrated as the next guy. In fact, I think one of the uh, commentators on NFL Network touched on that. This Bills defense and the calls that are being made by Dennis Thurman and Rex Ryan are not congruent with the situation. Mm. Brian Baldinger from NFL Network talking about the uh, Bills' defensive schemes uh, that they had on uh, Sunday against the Eagles. The thing is, they're taking defensive ends and defensive linemen and treating them like they're outside linebackers. And the fact is, we that's not who we are and that's not the type of football we play. But all of that aside, with Mario and his complaints and his nagging injuries and his illness, he's sick, his stomach hurts, he can't play. He just has no, and then when he is out there, he has no intensity. You know, you look at it, he just doesn't seem like he has a desire to be a dominant player. I mean, I've, I've had it with him. He was the invisible man against a Philly line that hasn't been all that good this season. I mean, you, you went into a game thinking Jerry Hughes and Mario Williams were going to eat these guys alive, and instead, they both disappeared. But Mario's is more egregious because to me, you're a veteran. You understand what this game means. You've been on a lot of losing football teams. You should want. You should have that fire. This is what Daryl Taylor was talking about. You need to have that intensity. You want to come into a game and you want to tell your teammates, "Listen, I'm fired up. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go out there and make plays. And I expect you to do your job too. You make plays the same way I'm going to make plays. And at the end of the day, we'll win this football game. And instead, that's not what happens." You see this guy go out there and just get beat one-on-one with a right tackle over and over and over again. It's pathetic. We needed this football game, and he was nowhere to be found, but he's the most expensive player on our roster. It's it's ridiculous. I I can't recall if we talked about it during the podcast or before we had started recording, but I had said... When we had signed Mario Williams, like who honestly thought that that one player was going to put us into a playoff position? Because he had the chance to go to any team he wanted, and he chose to come to Buffalo because we threw the most money at him. And he is—that's a clear sign of somebody that's that's more involved with individual accolades than a, a team game to win a Super Bowl. He was not in ever in it to win a Super Bowl. All I know is that if the Bills decide to target a player in this year's draft, you know, depending on who falls to us, where we end up, I got like Shaq Lawson out of Clemson, Robert Mdichie out of uh, Ole Miss, or Sean Robinson out of, you know, Alabama, roll damn tight. I could completely deal with him Packing all of his stuff and just getting the hell out of here. Or don't. Or live in Orchard Park and just expect me to heckle you when I see you in public. That's it. I've I've got nothing. I've got no love for Mario Williams. Speaking of Robert Mdichie, I gotta stop it. I I gotta I know we don't usually talk about college football here on this podcast, but I'll tell you. We will in future episodes, though. The draft is not far this, away. This story can't go without notice because, A, he's a player who might end up on a roster next year. But, B, because it's just friggin' bizarre. Okay. Robert Mdg is about six foot five, 305 pounds. It was brought to, you know, Deadspin first broke the story earlier this week that... <laughs> The guy fell, according to the Atlanta police, Robert Mdichie fell out of the fourth floor window of a hotel. What? (laughs) What an idiot. Oh, what a loser. Somehow a man the size of a small vehicle managed to fall out of a window four floors off the ground at a hotel. And by a small vehicle, you mean a Fiat. Surprisingly, he had 
they, they reported that he sustained multiple cuts, but that he was complete that he was completely conscious and he was responsive and they took him to the hospital, but he was in stable condition. You're talking about a man who just fell out of a friggin' window. Four stories. He was already high, so we didn't feel anything. <laughs> I mean, come on. So then the police searched the room. This is the story. The police searched the room. They find alcohol, marijuana. He's there with a bunch of other, you know, there's a bunch of other people in the room. You're talking about a hotel. This isn't a mansion. This isn't some, you know, corner condo in a hotel. This is a hotel hotel room. room, And yet somehow none of the individuals in the room seem to be able to tell the cops how this massive gargantuan human being happened to fall out the friggin' window. (laughs) So they talk, they talk about it and it goes back and forth. He's fine. He's 100% fine, and he has no injuries. Now, the window was broken out, and the story turns out after talking to some other uh, some other witnesses, he broke the window. He broke the window and then climbed out the window and then fell. What, what kind of an asshole? Well, I've never, I'm sorry, I've never been partying. And just decided that I was so drunk that I had to incredible Hulk my way out the window. <laughs> I needed to get some fresh air, so I'm going to punch out this window. <laughs> just what? This story is one of the most bizarre things I've ever heard of. But I'll tell you what's even better than the story are the comments on Deadspin. Somebody named Sleepy Irv comments, It's Mississippi. <laughs> It's Mississippi in the South. They may have miscounted what floor he was on. <laughs> oh, they another Amelia E comments. If multiple cuts are his only injuries, he should be the number one pick in the next draft. Also, look for a new "quote unquote" falling from the fourth floor window drill at the 2016 Combine. Midwest elitist comments his NFL scouting combine pros and cons. Cons, decision-making, and character issues. Pros, invincibility. <laughs> may, underneath that, may actually be Superman. <laughs> oh... And then Snoop Loop came in with a comment of, if he keeps pulling stuff like that, I foresee multiple cuts in his future. <laughs> oh. 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 All I know is that the story is just so friggin' bizarre. How do you fall four, stor- four floors? And he has cuts, and he's responsive. If I fell 15 feet, you'd probably have to get me at least a beer and a pillow, because I don't know if I'm going anywhere for a long time. No. Oh. Also on Deadspin, Bills fan watch. Way to go, guys. Way to keep it classy out of town. You guys are mooning passerbys in traffic. Finally, something happened. Bills fan related on Deadspin that was at an away game. We've had this string of stuff happen at home games, and now we're taking it on the road. Taking the, taking the, we're taking the we're taking the show on the road, folks. We're bringing it to your city. Everyone, keep your eyes open for the Buffalo Bills Zoo crew. Let's see if we can turn that into a thing. Let's just see how much trouble we can cause around the country. It'll be like a concert. We'll just travel around. I feel like the jet game at the end of the season is just going to be some <laughs> oh my god blowout. <laughs> Like I might advise you to to uh, pace yourself. Along. Oh, there's no pacing myself. I, I, but I would hope because for we haven't even mentioned that I think all season on the podcast. Drew tailgates behind the field house. Yeah, yeah, we tailgate behind the field house. Behind have, the field house, we have a party wheel. It is prizes not, and drinks it, and it fun. Is, we. It's not an official. Bill's lot. So I'm saying that Jet Game, maybe just pace yourself to see if you yourself can capture 
a Deadspin video in the parking lot. I feel like I may end up on a Deadspin video in the parking lot, more so than catching one. But in any event, it brings us to our final segment here. Many of you know, you've seen the commercials, maybe you've all watched it. There's a 30 for 30 out about the Buffalo Bills. Aired on Saturday directly after the Heisman Award. You haven't watched it yet. I have yet to see it. Surprisingly. And so, now I've got it, I've got it recorded, but now I want to, for people out there who may not have watched it yet, and you being someone who has seen it, I've got some questions for you, okay? Just kind of like a survival kit for everyone else out there who may want some who want, want some information on it. First off, I mean, let, let's get to this. How should I prepare to watch this show? Question number one, alcohol. Is this something that I should be sober for? Because I don't know that I'm going to want to relive all of, all of these Buffalo Bills highlights followed by all of these Buffalo Bills lowlights without a cocktail or three. You drunk? No. But this ought to do it. So what do you think, Chris? Booze or no booze? I watched it on Monday Monday night over at my buddy Rick's house. And I had Mighty Taco that I brought. And I had Mighty Taco. And I had one beer. Because it's during the week. You know, I got work in the morning. You know, if you're going to watch it on a Friday night, you know what I would do? I would make myself, I mean, I'm a, a whiskey guy. Maker's Mark, I would have a couple of Makers and Coke and watch it. It's a great watch. They, NFL Films doesn't paint the picture of those four teams in a bad light. Because it's 25 years after the first Super Bowl, Super Bowl 25 against the Giants. People are now realizing how, how good those teams were and how difficult it is to get to a Super Bowl nowadays, let alone four in a row. Because in my lifetime, that's never happening again. Yeah, no, no, you're right. No, you're right. I'm actually just sending out a tweet right now. You just claimed it's the biggest oxymoron I've ever heard. You said you're a whiskey guy, and then you claim that you're mixing Maker's Mark and Coke. Any whiskey connoisseur would know that if you're mixing it, then you're wasting it. So you might as well drink Philadelphia or some $8 bottle of crap that you find on the shelf because it all tastes the same. If you're going to drink Maker's Mark, you do it. Either neat in a rocks glass or maybe on the rocks. You know, get, get a little ice in there, let it water it down, and savor it. Do you really mix Maker's Mark and Coke or are you just trying are you just saying that to piss me off? No, I'm really pissing oh, you off. Oh god. I went to Auburn, Alabama, because that's where my brother graduated from college on a fourth of July weekend and uh, it was a, a man weekend, and I met a couple of his friends, and his one of his friends, had. we went to his apartment, and he had a shelf. He had shelves lining the whole perimeter of his apartment, and they were all stacked with empty Maker's Mark bottles, handles, full handles. This guy drank a lot, and I had Maker's that weekend, and, you know... I kind of, I don't, I don't say I got hooked on it, but if I was going to have a mixed drink for in the future, I would usually, if at a bar or a party, if they had Makers and Coke, that's what I would have. There's no, no, don't, that's unbelievable. Yeah, but then again, I'm not a guy who goes to consumer beverages around here and consistently drops $130. Hey, well... I wear that like a red badge of honor. In any event, second question. Should I watch this alone or should I watch it with friends? I mean, is this a spiritual experience that should be enjoyed in silence by oneself? Or is it okay to watch it with your girlfriend? I mean, 
if I cry, is that something I'm going to have to try to explain to other people? No. Or uh, is it just expected that this is something that might happen? I put it on Facebook that on Monday night. I watched it, and I cried at the end. I, I didn't, like, bawl like somebody died, but I had... I teared up watching the the ending, and you could see throughout every interview that they had implemented into the film with Scott Norwood that Scott Norwood got emotional each interview. No spoilers. Interview that they showed. You ruined this for me. I'll cut you. Too bad. <laughs> now, food. Now, I know you said you had Mighty Taco. Should I eat before I watch this, or should I wait until after? There's a part of me that thinks that I might be too drunk to eat anything afterwards. But then there's also a part of me that thinks I might just be too sad and have no appetite at all. I would eat during watching it. I would watch it alone, for your sake. (laughs) Watch it alone, eat and drink during it, but don't drink to where you just get plastered. The paints... The bills in an excellent light because, again, people are now coming to the realization that these teams were actually good. And for those of you that don't know, I had mentioned it to Drew before we had started recording. I said, over the four years that we were in the Super Bowl, we played the NFC 16 times, four games each season, four times four is 16. Drew guessed that we were. Six and ten against the NFC across those four years, and we were fourteen and two. And those two losses were against Washington and Detroit in the final week of the season when we couldn't give a damn about those games. And yeah, we couldn't pull off and the we ones couldn't that matter. Pull off the <clears throat> Super Bowl, but they make some good explanation. I'm, again, I'm trying not to give it away okay. for you. They make some good explanations. In some things of why the Bills uh, lost the Super Bowls. Well, let me ask you this. Overall, was it something that you enjoyed? And would you watch it a second time? 30 for 30 always come out on Netflix. The, mm-hmm. the, like, the last one was the last one was Trojan War. Mm-hmm. That's already on Netflix. Yep. This is coming out on Netflix. Anytime I go to bed, I'm putting that on. And if my, <laughs> if my wife... I was Try, saying, I'm sure my, you're, I'm sure Shannon will have something. If to say my about wife this. tries to put something else on, I will put her in the million dollar dream. <laughs> the million dollar dream. Oh, Virgil, Ted DiBiase. I will put oh, her in the million dollar dream, folks. He gave me, he shot me the wolf pack earlier, the wolf pack symbol, and now he's talking about Ted DiBiase. This guy has wrestling on the brain tonight. I'm sorry. That's, you anybody that tries to change the channel when you're watching that should be put in the million dollar dream. Go to sleep or I will put you to sleep. Well, I'll tell you what, for everyone still listening to this, if you're out there, I know we've been rambling, we've been going back and forth. Tonight's been kind of a free for all because I really don't feel like talking about Washington because I don't really I'm not looking forward to this game at all. But you're in for a treat because next week, in the spirit of the holidays, the Rockpile Report's going to be throwing its own Festivus party. For anyone not familiar with the ceremony, it's the from the it's from Seinfeld, and it is a celebration of a Festivus for the rest of us. And the only the, no one fits that bill better than the Buffalo Bills. So aside from the metal pole and beverages of merriment. We here on the Rockpile Report are also going to showcase a special segment on the airing of grievances, which is a big part of Festivus. And I, I, I want to challenge all of our listeners. I want to hear from everybody else. What was one specific thing this season that just stuck in your craw? What was something that just rubbed you the wrong way? Maybe made your nerves a little bit raw? Something that made you want to drink beers, maybe curse in public, fight your neighbors? I don't know. I want to hear about it. I want you guys to reach out to us and let me know. We're going to get some guests on the show. We're going to try to make this thing. Yeah, I want to do this annually. Hopefully, they don't give me enough reason to next year. But we want to make this something big. So why don't you guys shoot us all of the things that just pissed you off about the 2015 Buffalo Bills. I want to hear it. We're going to put a show together. We're going to... There's going to be fun. There's going to be dancing. There's going to be fireworks, maybe a midget or two. I don't know. 
Who knows? It's going to get crazy over here. You can hit us up with your opinions at Rock Pal Report on Twitter and also at rockpalreport 716 at gmail.com. Sunday, we play the Redskins, and due to the NFL flexing the original Sunday night game back into a 1 o'clock slot and shuffling another game back into the Sunday night game, our game that was scheduled to be on CBS, sorry, no Spiro Adidas, God, we've been screwed us. We've been moved to the Fox Network, and we will have the game uh, all the southern tier, Rochester, and basically all of Virginia and parts of West Virginia get the game on Fox. Kenny Albert and Daryl Johnston will have the call at 1 o'clock from those Native Americans in Washington, D.C., <laughs> Oh, my God. All right, that's it. I've had enough. And i got to kill this friggin' shandy because this thing's terrible. And we also might have Greg Terlone next week. Hopefully. Hopefully. One can only hope. Folks, we're going to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, and this has been the Rockpile Report. Thanks for listening.